Welcome to Grace Bible Fellowship's Sermon Archive. Our prayer is that you will be abundantly blessed as you listen to this sermon delivered by Pastor Teacher Paul Francisco. Join us as we are appointed to the grace found in Jesus Christ alone as recorded in God's Holy Word. Romans is the most theologically filled book in all the Bible, containing all the major doctrines of the faith, and it is the most prolific of Paul's writings for unpacking the gospel. If we look at church history and the fathers of the faith on down, they were deeply impacted by this book. Augustine was converted, along with many others, through Romans. Luther, Martin Luther, was reformed by it as he wrestled over sin and finding righteousness in Christ. Jonathan Owen was deeply inspired by it, writing on sin. He wrote a book, and I highly recommend this to you, called The Mortification of Sin. Uh, William Carey was commissioned through the influence of Romans. But what I want to propose to you today, beloved, is through this text, through the first seven verses of this amazing text, that the gospel is God's good news promised in scripture and fulfilled in Christ Jesus for the purpose of bringing glory to God through the transforming work of grace by the spirit in obedience of faith and worship by all peoples. Now that is a mouthful. Uh, it'll actually be up here in a little bit. So you guys, if you'd like to write those things, you can do. So to give you a little contextual background here of the book of Romans, it is the longest and most systematic reason of Paul's Letters. The major theme of his letter was announced by him, if you read your Bibles in Romans chapter 1, in verses 16 and 17, where he states the gospel is the power of God for salvation because it shows us that the righteousness of God is through faith to all who believe. Paul did not plant the church in Rome, but he heard of their faith, and he wanted to build them up in the faith. He wanted to exhort them to partner with him in his mission to the Gentiles, specifically on his way to Spain. But he is primarily concerned with one thing. Out of all the things you'll see through the book of Romans, take this. The gospel of the grace of God. That's what he cares about. This book is filled. This text is filled with gospel saturation. This book, this letter, this text is filled with gospel community, building up the, a gospel community in Christ. It's filled with gospel commissions, commissioning us to go out for the sake of the gospel. And so today's message of gospel foretold, confirmed, and passed on, we have the gospel of God. And so I have Four points for you, if you like. This is your roadmap. If you'd like to write these things down, it'll be up here as well. First, we'll see in verse one that we are called for God's good news. Called for God's good news. Secondly, the promised good news. A promised good news. Third, Jesus is the good news. Fourth, the transforming work of the gospel is for all peoples. 
all peoples. So again, the gospel is God's good news promised in scripture and fulfilled in Christ Jesus for the purpose of bringing glory to God through the transforming work of grace by the spirit and obedience of faith and worship by all peoples. And you can put that next one up there for them. So let's let's dive into the text. And I, I, I trust that you have at least your electronic Bible or your um, paper copy. Um, we will be swimming deep in scripture, so you will need to be able to turn to several passages in the Bible here. So the first verse here tells us Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Paul, right away in his first sentence, penned on paper, inspired by the Spirit, identifies himself. He says he is a servant of Christ Jesus. The, the Greek word there is doulos, meaning slave. So he's a servant slave of Christ called for God's good news. John Piper puts it this way. Paul is a bond servant of Christ Jesus. That is, he was bought and owned and ruled by Christ. He lives to please Christ. So if you look back to the Old Testament times and the the, the bond servant, this, this phrase that's used here, uh, many who were indentured slaves um, would work on their masters and if they truly loved their masters and their wives and their children uh, because they had cared for them well, they could voluntarily stay under their service with them. And so what the, the tradition was is they would go to the side of the house and a nail would put, be put through the earlobe to the side of the house, marking that they are permanently connected to their bondservant, their, their, their master. So Paul's identity was tied directly to his master, Jesus Messiah, Christ Jesus. That's what Christ means, Christos. That means the anointed one, the Messiah. It's the same language that we see in Hebrew, Ebed Yahweh, which means in Old Testament language, a servant of the Lord. You see, Christ didn't come to be served, but to serve. And Paul serves Christ in the same power which, which Christ serves Paul. And Paul was called to something very specific, called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God on that road to Damascus. After he's been leading the charge and persecution of the church, having Christians stoned and beaten and, and thrown in jail and giving um, his approval of the stoning of Stephen on the road to Damascus. Jesus comes in a bright light and he is blinded. And as he falls to his knees, Jesus Christ speaks to him. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And it wasn't until later when he speaks to Ananias who receives a word from the Lord and the scales fall from Paul's eyes in that conversion, he can see once again, but with a, a new vision. He was set apart for this work, this gospel of God or God's gospel 
to be an apostle. But he was set apart beforehand. You see, God did not take any chances at all. Before the foundations of the world, he declared that the apostle Paul would be set apart for his work specifically to the Gentiles. Hallelujah. And for service in God's gospel. Did you know that word evangelion, gospel, is mentioned 60 times in this letter alone? Gospel. Good news, heralded, proclaimed, and he was set apart specific, specifically to the Gentiles. He was set apart with a specific authority given by God for the gospel. So no man or woman at that can do anything good apart from the gospel. We must be set apart. He was as an apostle given divine authority, he had an encounter with the living Christ. He walked and talked and received revelation directly from Christ himself. And he was given this authority in which the church is being built. Hallelujah. Although divine apostleship has ended, he still calls leaders in the church Today, he calls missionaries today. He calls evangelists today. He calls women today to serve in ministries with children and, and, and other women and so forth. I think this, if I step aside for saying, serves as a warning for all of those in authority. You see, authority must be used for the advancement of the gospel. Authority must be used for the advancement of gospel. Good authority is rooted in gospel calling. Good authority is rooted in a gospel calling. And thirdly, good authority bears good fruit in the gospel. Good authority bears good fruit in the gospel. As I listened to Mark Dever's message of Together for the Gospel, he said, only when we're under God's authority are we fit to be in authority over others. Knowing who we are accountable to aids us. It helps us in making good use of our accounting for others. See, as elders, as shepherds, as pastors over the flock, we are held to account. We are held to account by God himself. And by knowing that, I know I can speak for myself, but I'm sure Brother Chris and Brother John, who's at home right now, can attest to the same thing. We, we were shaking our boots. This is, this is a high calling and responsibility. We are to give an account for the sheep. So the Apostle Paul identifies who he is as a slave servant of Christ, set apart for the gospel of God. And then in verse two, he gives us the promised good news. He says, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. You see, the gospel is not a new news. It is good news. It was promised beforehand through, as the text says, by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. It was foretold. It's what they looked and longed for. And what 
Scripture tells us, as for example, Abraham, it was counted to him as righteousness from his faith, his belief, his hope. You can look at the Old Testament this way. Promises made. And the New Testament was where promises were fulfilled. Turn with me in the first letter of Peter. First letter of Peter, first Peter chapter one. We're gonna look at verse 10 and 12. The Holy Spirit speaks to his other apostle, Peter. First Peter chapter one, verse 10 through 12. And he says these words, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that we have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news, the gospel, right? To you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things in which angels long to look. Think about that for a moment. The angelic beings in heaven that are around the throne of God right now at this very moment. Look and they, they, they marvel. That God has created us, man and woman, in his own image, the Mago Deo. And even though we fell and fell into sin and would be separately, um, in, in eternity, separated from God, God did not leave us in that own state. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to do what we could not, to live the life that we couldn't, and pay the penalty that we deserve so that we would re re have redemption of sin through the triumph and victory of his resurrection if we repent and believe and the angels long to look. Let me give you an example of one of these prophets. This is where you definitely need to be there. Isaiah. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 52. We're going to look at a whole two chapters here. But I need you to see this. Isaiah chapter 52. We're going to go all the way through chapter 53. This is God's word for God's people. Awake. Awake. Put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing and you shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, my people went down at first into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Syrian oppressed them for nothing. Now therefore, what have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing? The rulers will 
declares the Lord, and continue all the day my name is despised. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings the good news. This is the Apostle Paul quotes those direct words in Romans chapter 10. How beautiful are the feet that preach the good news. Who publishes peace. Who brings good news of happiness. Who publishes salvation. Who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice together. They sing for joy. For eye to eye, they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Purify yourselves who bear the vessels of the Lord. For you shall not go out in the haste and you shall not go in flight. For the Lord will go before you and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Now he speaks concerning Christ, the suffering servant he speaks of here. He says, behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted as many were astonished at you. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root of out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement. Listen to this. That brought us peace, beloved. And with his wounds, we are healed, saints. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. You recognize anyone like that? All we leak. Like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way. I know I can identify with that. But the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb. He was led to the slaughter. Like sheep that before its shears, it's silent. So he opened not his mouth. 
Jesus willingly went to the cross. He laid down his life. Remember when the Pontius Pilate spoke about him and the death that he can eat? He says, you would not have any authority if not given by him, by the Father in heaven, and that he willingly laid down his life. Text says, by oppression and judgment was taken away. And for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? He hung on a cross like a thief, like a criminal. And then they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his, in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. The will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The Lord, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. That prosper is the fruit of the gospel. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide with him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death. He was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. This is God's word, God's people. You see, the prophets foretold and the promises were announced and it was recorded for us in God's holy word. The good news was foretold and it was heralded. It was announced, then recorded. That means we have scripture that comes from God himself. Knowing it is not only reliable and the truth from God himself, therefore we can trust the word, friends. How much more do we need these truths today? You remember when Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness? When Satan says, turn these stones into bread. How did Jesus respond? It is written. It is written. Absolutely. The man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You see, beloved, we can miss a meal. We're not going to start with that. We'll live. But when you skip God's word in your regular diet, you're spiritually starving yourself. John 1, beginning with verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not only not anything made that was made. You see, the gospel is promised, and it was preserved in the holy writings inspired by God. We believe, and we ought to live by that truth. This is why in our church covenant, the first 
thing that we identify with is that we're committed to the truth. God-breathed scriptures are profitable. Profitable. There is, this is a serious matter, friends. Saints at GBF, this is serious and we ought to revere and give honor to God through his word. It's promise-fulfilling, life-giving, thirst-quenching, light-illuminating in a gospel calling by the word that became flesh. We have the word that was announced and written. But it speaks of the one. It's centered in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the good news. Look with me in verses 3 through 4. Concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see in these verses, what we see here is Jesus is the fulfillment of the good news. H.B. Charles said, the Old Testament was promises concealed. The New Testament was the Holy Spirit revealed. So we have this, this dissension from David, the son of David. If we go to 2 Samuel, which I'm going to turn there, so I suggest you do the same. 2 Samuel chapter 7. What we'll see is that through this account, David was not allowed to build a house for God. God had appointed David rule over Israel as king and the Lord grants David and the Israelites a time of rest from their enemies in war. God then gives David a promise after using Nathan to speak to David about not building a house for the Ark of the Covenant, a dwelling place for God. And God gives this promise to David through his offspring, a kingdom would last forever. Let's look in 2 Samuel Chapter 7. Now when the king lived in the house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan, the prophet, see now, I will dwell in the house of cedar and the ark of God dwells in a tent. Nathan said to the king, go, do all that is in your heart for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought you up, the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent from my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the peoples of Israel, did I speak a word of, with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore thus 
shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be a prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they will dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you, the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. And then if we only have to go to the, when we go to the New Testament, we only have to go to the first book of the first chapter of the first sentence in the New Testament. And in Matthew 1.1 records these words, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of who? David. You see, Beloved, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Davidic promises. We, we can even look a little further. Uh, if you're in 2 Samuel, still turn over to 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 8. You can look in verse 25 through 26. It says, Now therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, which he had promised him, saying, you shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me as you have walked before me. Now, therefore, O God of Israel, let your word be confirmed, which you have spoken to your servant, David. My father, this was Solomon speaking. See, Jesus was the fulfillment of the promise of David. He was the son of David. He was also the Davidic king promised according to the flesh. Notice that in our text it says, who was descended from David according to the flesh. Jeremiah 23, 5 says, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When I'll raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right. In the land. David was given the promise, and Jesus was the fulfillment of that promise. There's also the promise of the word that would become flesh in John chapter 1. Again in verse 4, it 
it says, and we are writing these things that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, we will walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in life as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the word is not in us. And what was the word? Go to John's gospel. Right at the beginning, remember I quoted that just a minute ago. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was what? Uh, word was God. And then in verse four of John's Gospel, he says, "In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it." There was a man sent from God whose name was John referring to John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which gives light to everyone who was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, meaning the Jews, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not out of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And then this next word, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, friends, we don't have to go around searching every archive, looking at every artifact to find that Jesus truly was who he said he was. If you're a Christian and you believe these truths, he was the word that became flesh and he reveals himself to us. So Jesus fulfilled the good news by being the son of David through the lineage of David in which the seed of the woman would come. You know, you notice that in Genesis 3.15 after the fall? That was the proto-evangelion, the first gospel through the seed of the woman. He, the serpent, would strike her heel, and he would crush the head of the serpent through the seed of the woman. And Jesus is the Davidic king promise. He was the word that became flesh, but not only that, he was the son of God and was declared to be the son of God, the text tells us. If we go to Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 1, on the birth of Jesus being foretold, and the angel Gabriel comes and appears before Mary and speaks to her and tells her that she 
will be carrying the Lord's anointed and, and that the Holy Spirit would come upon her and give her a child as she's betrothed to Joseph, her husband, and is still yet a virgin. Beginning in chapter 1, verse 30. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father who? David. David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom there will be no end. Praise be to God that God fulfills his promises. The coming of the son of God as the son of David would mean everlasting joy in the presence of God for all the ransom of the Lord. This is the gospel of God. Jesus, the fulfillment of promises made. And it comes, as the text says, in power according to the spirit of holiness. This is not just any spirit. This is the Holy Spirit. That's why if you have on your Bibles and it's written on the front, it says Holy Bible. It was inspired, God-breathed, inspired of the living God. He was God fully, just as Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man. And God the Father who spoke the word is God. Three persons in one, one God. Eternally existing forever in perfect union as the triune God who speaks and serves and lives and dies and is raised from the dead. Hallelujah. The power of the spirit and the resurrection. This is what we looked at last week, right? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now I will remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the what? The scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. You can look in our letter here to the Romans in Romans chapter 8, verses 10 and 11. In the power of the resurrection, the power of the spirit. It says, but if Christ is in you. If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, right? The promise helper. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Beloved saints, if you are a child of God, been divinely regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit through the gospel of God, you are united in Christ. You died to your old self. 
and raised into new life. If any man be in Christ, the old has passed away. Behold, all things become new. You are a new creation. And you have been given the promise of the Holy Spirit that dwells in you. This is why the resurrection is so important to the gospel and why we should not neglect that very key important element of the good news. It's not good news if we don't have the resurrection. Right? I, I, I spoke about this last week. Muhammad died and he was buried. Buddha died and he was buried. Christianity is the only religion, the only truth in the world that claims a resurrection from the dead. If he lived and died, we would not have no salvation. Because he had to conquer the last enemy, death. Amen. And through the same spirit of power that raised Christ, we will be raised in the spirit now dwells in you. And lastly, what we see here is Jesus also fulfilled through the son of David, the earthly king, he came into his divine messianic kingship. From earthly king to divine messiah king, Jesus Christ, our Lord, that's what the text says. Lord, well, I've invited Jesus into my heart. Beloved, let me tell you about a heresy that is out there. This idea that we play on your emotions. We play the right music. We, we give you this compelling story to walk an aisle, say a prayer, declare you saved and never see you again. And your life has never been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit through the gospel of God. That is a lie. Because if you are Christ, if you have the Holy Spirit that dwells in you, you will continue to seek after holiness. Justification declares us righteous, but sanctification is the process by which God is working in you by the power of the Spirit in his word to sanctify you, to make you look closer to the image of the Son. This is why Romans 8.28 is glorious and filled with hope. And we know all things, not the things I don't want or the things I do want, all things work together for good to them who love God and are called according to his purpose. And it's only quite correctly and rightly understood in light of verse 29. So that you be conformed to the image of the Son. So we have here the divine Messiah King, Jesus Christ, our Lord. If we truly give him our heart, then he will also be Lord of our lives. Look back in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 on the resurrection, a little bit further in verse 20 through 28. It says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So he's the first 
born of many brethren, of much fruit being born by the gospel. For as by a man came death, by a man come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ, then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every ruler, every authority, and power. For he must reign. This is our divine sovereign king, Jesus Christ, our Lord. For he must reign until he has put all the enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. God has put all things in subjection under his feet, but when it says subjection under him, when all things are subjected to him, then the son himself will also be subjected to him, who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Jesus was the last prophet. Jesus was the last word. And the king of kings, the good news fulfilled for us today. That leads us to our last point here, the transforming work of the gospel for all peoples. Look with me in verses 5 through 7. Through him we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What we see here is the gospel of grace enables obedience. Gospel of grace enables obedience, not just for you, but for all peoples through Jesus, for his glory and our joy. Verse five is the purpose of the gospel. It's all about Christ's glory, making his name famous to the nations. I you know, everybody likes to quote in Psalms, be still and know that I'm God, but they forget the rest of that verse. And I shall be exalted amongst the nations, and I shall be, what? Praised throughout the earth. Exalted throughout the earth. And it comes out of the word of grace. This is what the text says, through whom we have received grace. Whom we have received grace. The book of Romans it's all about grace. Grace is the good message of the gospel. But we cannot understand that without understanding what grace is. You see, let me ask you a question. Is it something we say? Like, you know, before a meal? Is it something we, we see? Maybe, you know, she was gracious as she was dancing, Right? Or is it something that we feel? I feel good about this. This is so gracious of you to give me this gift. Sort of. You see, it is the power and enabling of the calling and salvation. It is unmerited, unearned favor, which can, which one cannot contribute anything but their sin. What did you contribute in salvation? Nothing but your sin. That's the only thing you gave. It is the first hand living encounter with the risen Christ through the spirit illuminated gospel. And Paul's calling by grace for apostleship. In the general sense, this one actually, apostles, apostles means one who is sent. And you notice in the context here, it, 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 it makes the a statement 
of including others, but we're not all apostles, right? Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. We have received grace and apostleship, meaning that we've been sent. Its basic meaning was his was specific as an apostle to the Gentiles. That means all of us. I don't think any of you here are ethnic Jews, right? But the gospel was meant for all nations. Ethnic. All peoples. To bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. That all peoples have an obedience flowing from an overflow of faith. God's design is to be worshipped by all. This is why John Piper likes to say missions exist because true worship doesn't. This brings glory to God through Christ. When we bring the gospel of God, the good news to the nations, and grace is the ingredient to transformation by the power of the Spirit. The gospel should radically transform us who say they believe. It transforms those who believe. It changes our identity. I'm not Hispanic or Asian because I'm a mixed up mutt. I'm not an American. I'm a Christian. That's my identity. I'm in Christ. Saints, what's your identity today? Are you founded and rooted in the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you identify first as being a child of God? It should lead to obedience of faith and worship. This doesn't mean just Sunday mornings when we come and gather together for a couple hours. Faith is the root, but obedience is the fruit. Faith is the root, but obedience is the fruit. We were made for holiness. This is what Ephesians 2.10 says. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, everybody likes to quote Ephesians 2.8.9. For by grace we have been saved through faith, not of our own doing, but as a gift to God. Right? But we were created for his good works work to bear fruit and then first peter one chapter thir- uh, one verse 13 and 16 it says therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded in other words thinking clearly set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of jesus christ as obedient children do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance but as he who called you is holy. You also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Christians, we trust in Christ and now live by the spirit and faithful obedience. Jonathan Owen wrote concerning about this pursuit of holiness and obedience and forsaking sin, he says, I hope I my own insincerity that my heart's desire unto God and the chief design of my life and the station wherein the good providence of God had placed me are that the mortification and universal holiness may be promoted in my own 
and in the hearts and the ways of others to the glory of God so that the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ may be adorned in all things. In other words, Jonathan Owen was saying, pray, pray, beloved. Pray, saints. Pray our hearts as part of God's providential design. Seek to kill sin. Flee from it. Pursue holiness to the glory of God so that the gospel will be made attractive to others in our lives, that we can testify to the hope that lies within us. This is, as the text says, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. That's all of us if we claim to be Christians. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, right? Well, I'm no saint. Beloved, saint doesn't mean perfection. Sainthood is being united in Christ through his death and given new life in his resurrection. If you're in Christ, you are saints in works. Until that day when he says, well done and good and faithful servant. Just as the Roman Christians were called, we are called as sent ones in the pursuit of holiness. We are called to other Gentiles. We're called to all the nations. The gospel of grace calls us and commissions us. William Carey was known as the father of modern missions and his hard journey in missions. He believed this gospel calling to the nations. He was often heard saying, expect great things, attempt great things. David Platt convicted my heart in the conference. He said, being passionate about God's glory amongst all the nations is for Christians. It's functional heresy to design an optional program for something. You see, I shared this with you recently. We're called to declare God's good news in the nearly 8 billion people that exist in this world, 7.8 billion of only 1%, well, there's 10% who claim to be Christian. That includes all things like Catholics and all that. And then there's 1% of those that we would consider wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. That leaves us approximately 7 billion people in the world passing from this life to the next in an eternity in hell without ever knowing Jesus Christ. That should stir something in us. We either are called to be radically praying and giving. I mean, sacrificially giving. Remember when I spoke about uh, the Philippians? They gave out an abundance of their poverty. That means they gave up a few cups of Starbucks, maybe an extra meal they didn't need and everything, and they gave sacrificially. Or we're either radically praying and going. Our sister Minerva was talking about the Madalinsky family and the Tatamata. You have an opportunity to respond to that, that, that reality. You have an opportunity to take part in this. Next Sunday, right after service, we'll have our informational meeting and our mission trip in July to go minister to those very people through our service of loving on the missionaries, through the children who will come to the parks. Uh, in the future, doing medical stuff and construction work and evangelizing and praying and the list can go on. This calling is a high calling of God by grace through faith in Christ. 
It's empowered by the Spirit so that you and all would glorify him either in worship or in judgment. John Piper said at the conference, when he dies, he went on the back of his tombstone, his coin saying, it's that God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. Beloved, listen, don't be afraid. Don't be silent. Keep on keeping on and run the good race. You see, where you are hesitant, where you are afraid, where you're struggling, the very place where you might be struggling is where God has placed you for the gospel. Christian, if you're struggling or hurting today, remember Jesus. Friends, if you're here today and you're desperate to hear a word from God and need good news, remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. He is the serving Messiah, the anointed leader, humble, the good news sent, the promised word fulfilled, the son of man, the son of David, the son of God, spirit empowered, enabler, death resurrector, Lord of grace, giver, obedient, cross taker, sovereign, nations, creator, who is the faithful disciple maker and beloved grace and peace maker for his glory and our joy. Hallelujah. Let us hear God's words through the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 11. Of the depths of the riches and the wisdom of God how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? For who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Praise the Lord that his word is sufficient for our every need. Join us next time as we continue our study of God's infallible word. We would also love to have you join us in person at Grace Bible Fellowship. We meet together each Sunday at 9 a.m. for connections and at 10.30 a.m. for our worship service. We are located at the Baptist Student Ministry at 101 East University near UTEP. If you have any questions, you can dial 915-308-1208 or visit our website at www.gracebibleelpaso.org. We would love to see you this Sunday as GBF gathers to proclaim Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man